welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out as my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money. Hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right. Are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome back to the Your Killer Life podcast. I'm your host, Tammy Grable Woodford. And today I have a very special guest with me, Chris Gallo. And we're going to be breaking down some stereotypes. We're going to be doing a little bit of myth busting. And we're going to be bringing some awareness to a really important topic. And that is male breast cancer. Because, and there is a hashtag for this, folks, men have breasts too. And we're going to talk about that. So welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It should be a lot of fun. Yes, it is going yeah. to be a lot of fun. So tell us a little bit about you. All right. Um, Chris Gallo, I'm 49 years old. At 43, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I went through a bilateral mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiation, and hormone therapy. And uh, we're about six years later. And here I am feeling great. I love it. And not just feeling great, but looking great. And this is one well, of the things, you. yeah, this is one of the things I keep pointing out with the, with the podcast and interviewing survivors and thrivers is there are so many of us, you could bump into us on the street and you would never know the uh, battle scars that we have and what we've been through because just alive and thriving in the diagnosis. So as a guy, what symptoms caught your attention? How did you how did you know that you had something to get looked at? So okay, o- originally I felt a small lump, and uh, I pretty much you know I felt it. I didn't know what it was. It felt like like a half an unshelled peanut. Oh wow! Yeah, just off off my nipple, on my right side, and I showed my wife, and she said, "Ah, I wouldn't be concerned about it." And we let it go for a couple of months, but every day I would feel it like something's wrong, but I just didn't pay any attention to it. And then one day I noticed my nipple started inverting and I showed my wife again. And I guess she felt the different size, which I didn't feel because it's every day for me. So, right. So then she immediately called the doctor and sent me into the doctor. And when you went to the doctor, because this is, I think you and I talked a little bit in the green room and I'm actually going to admit to everybody that, that we have recorded before and it was my first technological catastrophic failure and we lost that interview. And so both of us are starting from this space of, did we talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) But as, as a guy and you have a lump in in your breast, in your chest. And did you call your general practitioner? Did you call a specialist? Like where, because you're not going to the gynecologist, mm-hmm. right? So no, def- definitely not. And it's pretty funny you mentioned that because I, I noticed uh, on one of the Facebook pages the other day that someone said, when you have a problem now, do you call your oncologist or your breast care specialist? And I'm thinking breast care specialist. What is What is that? So I actually asked that on the forum, but nobody answered me yet. Interesting. So I don't know what an actual breast care specialist is. I mean, my surgeon was a breast surgeon, but I don't know if he would be considered my breast care specialist. Interesting. I don't know. I don't either, you know, and that's, we could do a whole episode on that because you have so many doctors as you're going through this and then you get to the end and it's almost like the primary care providers are like, no, no, you're, you're not for us. Your cancer doctors are like, no, we're done now. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So basically my oncologist is my go-to now, but, (laughs) but getting back to it, I, uh, I originally went to my general practitioner, my family doctor and, uh, 
it was it was pretty immediate for him to recognize what the problem was because when he did his uh I don't what an inspection I'm gonna call it, but it's not an inspection. His uh exam what word am I looking for? Exam, thank yeah. you. When he did his exam, as I was on his seat table, he pulled his cell phone out of his pocket and called the mammogram biopsy wow. people to set up an appointment for me. And basically that's when the fear kind of set in a little bit because he actually called them and set me an appointment on his cell phone to their cell phone, which to me was weird because usually they'll give you a little note. You go up to the front counter they say, okay, make an appointment. Here's your referral, whatever. No, he called and made the appointment like wow. there on the spot. Wow. So, so you had a very aware primary care provider, general practitioner who was not messing around. That's really, that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Which I didn't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting so. because I was diagnosed at 43. You and I had talked about this mm-hmm. and my, my nipple had inverted too. And the gynecologist asked me if I was sure my nipple hadn't always been inverted. And <laughs> at, at 43, I'd lived with them for a while. So I was, yeah, you've had it quite a while, sure. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting what you said about knowing your body and feeling like something's not right. Because I always say to people, you know, we are the resident expert. We have been living in these bodies since birth. And so if you have that sensation, like something's not quite right, you really have to listen to that voice and yeah, and honor that. And, and that's that's a that's a learning experience that came along with this too. Is I was your I I'm typical man before this where ah, it'll go away. I'm not worried about it. I don't need to go see a doctor. But after this, everything I go to the doctor for. <laughs> it is one of those wake up calls, isn't it? But that's also kind yeah. of one of the unfair things of cancer, especially at the beginning. It's like my elbow, my elbow twitches. I don't know. Maybe it's the elbow cancer, yeah. right? Like yeah. you just, everything is setting yes. off alarms. Okay. So your GP, yeah. he made the appointment. Now I'm going to guess that when you went, well, actually, did you go for a mammogram and were you probably the only guy there and talk to us a little bit about that process? And did you get a biopsy as well? So, yes, um, I, I want to, for some reason, remember it all happened the same day where I had the mammogram, ultrasound and biopsy. But the biopsy might have been a different day. I don't remember because and I've heard this in your other podcast. It's like. You, you don't remember things. It's like mm-hmm. what happened when and how, but so yeah, the, the mammogram is no different for men than it is for women. It's just less to put in the little squisher. Ow. So, uh, yeah. So it, that was definitely an experience. And like I said, a lot of men don't know about this mammogram. And, uh, so yeah, I went through it and they squished it in there and it was uncomfortable. <laughs> So I could, I think it would be more uncomfortable with more, to be honest with you, because it's more squishing, but I don't know. I don't know. It's not comfortable, period. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and then you had the, and an ultrasound. So you had your mammogram and ultrasound. So I had the mammogram and ultrasound. And here was another, another spark to me that this was not going to be like a good outcome, even though it's a good outcome now. But when I was having the ultrasound, I was talking with the ultrasound tech and we were having a conversation like this back and forth, smiling. And I guess when her image came up on her screen, she like just stopped talking and she just I could see her concentrating on the screen. And it just like scared me where I made a joke. I asked her, I said, is it a boy or a girl? And she, you know, and she was like, "Uh, it's okay," And that's Uh. pretty much all she said. So. It, it was, yeah. There is that <laughs> that weird space because my my gynecologist was really good about ordering the ultrasound and mammogram on the same day, but yeah, when you're there, and for me, it was, you know, go ahead and just leave your gown on. Um, I think the doctor's going to want a, a different image from a different view, and then coming back and saying, yeah, you know, we just didn't quite get, so we need to, and like you know, yeah. right? You're like, mm. yeah. Yeah. And then when they took me for the ultrasound, I was like, okay. And and I'm going to assume they're much more comfortable with women in there because I'm sure they don't see a lot of men. Probably not. Yeah, but you know, so. 
I have to tell you, my ultrasound tech was crying. So that, and that really startled me. And when the radiologist came in and told me you have cancer and a lot of it, it was the ultrasound tech that was in the corner with tears coming out of her eyes. And that probably scared me more than anything. And it was just so much of it, probably. So, yeah. So kind of, I had a little bit of the experience like that. She wasn't crying, but when I went into the next room and I remember some paperwork, she was telling me that it's going to be a journey. It's going to be a tough journey, but I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, (laughs) and I told, I told that story once before to someone and they're like, no, they can't tell you if you have cancer or not. They're just an ultrasound technician. And I'm like, well, she really didn't tell me that, but she kind of, whether she meant to say what she said or she didn't, it came across, you know, it was, I'm sorry if you hear the dogs barking. (laughs) I do, but that's okay. (laughs) You know what? We are living in the crazy world of COVID. Everybody's communicating by video, Zoom, whatever. So really, it's like people are having coffee with us at your house with you guys. (laughs) so it yeah that's true they're not supposed to but but at the same time like you know there's you you know and so it's sort of an understood I think more than anything and and the radiologist he did let me know that day and I didn't expect that either I had never really had any major anything done and so I didn't expect same day uh results so and of course at that point they just told me that I had cancer. I didn't know what type. I didn't even know there were different types until I had my biopsy. So you had your biopsy. I had my biopsy and I didn't know there was different types of breast cancer. I had the breast cancer was breast cancer, but yeah, so I had my biopsy and then I guess they, they sent the results came back. They sent it to my primary physician and he actually called me. I was actually up at Daytona bike week when the results came in and it was like a Thursday afternoon, they called me up and they said, you need to come in tomorrow morning. And I said, well, I'm actually up in Daytona for the weekend, for bike week and I'm not home this weekend. And they're like, no, the doctor needs to see you first thing in the morning. And I'm thinking, really lady, you know, I I know what you're trying to say, but you're not going to tell me on the phone. Cause I think I even asked her, well, just tell me on the phone. And she said, I can't. And I said, well, I'm not coming home. So I can come Monday. And I guess before they called me, which I didn't know, they called my wife's phone. So she knew, and she was actually on the way to the doctor's office. So then they call me back and they're like, well, your wife just walked in. Can we talk to her about it? I said, you can, but I want you to understand I'm not coming home for the weekend. <laughs> so, you know, don't get her upset. But my wife was there and wanted to know. And I knew what they were going to tell me already. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, personally, I thought this could have been handled a little better where they could have waited till Monday because what's going to change over the weekend except my mind thinking and racing and going right. crazy. So, So that was part of the experience there, too. Yeah, that's a tough thing with because once you know, it just sort of kicks off a bunch more questions. And then all of the sort of uh, bias that has been placed, right, of and of expectations around what cancer is and what cancer looks like. When, especially for me, I did I had never had anyone in my family that I had been through any kind of a, a cancer diagnosis with, and so it was completely foreign to me. All I knew really was what the media tells me cancer is like, right? And yes. that's not necessarily the best <laughs> example. No, 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 and, and we kind of spoke about it. Last time, because you already said that we tried this before, and now having this cancer diagnosis, breast cancer for a male, I have two daughters. And at the time, I'm thinking, how do I tell my my little girl that I, how old were they? They were 13 and 10 or something like that, or 12 and 9 at the time. And I'm thinking, they're going to be on the bus. They're going to say, my dad has cancer. And then the kid behind them is going to pop up in the seat and say, oh, my grandfather just died from cancer or, you know, so that was that was almost like my biggest worry at the time is how my kids going to take this because they're young and they don't understand. And 
I think I said this to you last time too, is me before this, I so you heard cancer, I thought death. Yeah. And that that's just the association I had with cancer is death. People with cancer die. And yeah. it's not true, which I know now, but that was my mentality at the time. And that's what I feared from my kids and people to say, oh, yeah, somebody just died from cancer in my family. Or, and then my girls have to live with that fear. Yeah. And I was always amazed. I don't know if it happened to you, but it seems like a pretty common story for those of us that are in the secret, not so secret cancer club, that you have people who start to tell you a story and you're always hoping for this positive outcome. And it's always like, yeah, my sister, brother, cousin, uncle, whatever, whatever, whatever. I had a great friend and they went through all this stuff and they were totally miserable and then they died. And you're like, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's interesting because I was just talking to somebody this week. And she was telling me how her sister, or I said, you know, I went through breast cancer. She's like, oh my God, my sister went through breast cancer. She died four years ago. And I'm thinking, okay, great. (laughs) It's just what I need to hear, you know, (laughs) but I know it's different now. And and so, but it's like, sometimes people don't really think what they're saying, or maybe they're just uncomfortable and they don't know. I don't, uh, you know. It's probably all of the above, right? Like, I think I need yeah. to do a blog post on all of the things not to, <laughs> not to say, because, uh, you know, on the one hand, they want to relate and they, they want to connect, but they're not, not necessarily thinking through the whole, whole story. And that is really hard because, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, when I was first diagnosed, man, it was what decisions do I need to make and what information do I need to consume and what do I need to know? to make a decision in the next 24 hours for my optimal outcome. And that was my focus. How do I live? Well, luckily for me, I had my wife with me at the time and I was, I was just lost. I didn't know what to think, Mm -hmm. what direction to go. And she just like handled everything, asked all the questions that needed to be asked, got the answers she wanted. Yeah. So I I got really blessed on that. That so, is awesome. Yeah. So you were off racing bikes or something. Your wife yeah, did just... get. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you as a, as a, as a cancer survivor, that makes total sense to me. Like what's going to change between Friday and Monday, I am going to go enjoy my weekend to yeah. the best of my ability. So what type of cancer did you find out that you had? Invasive ductal carcinoma. Did I say that correctly? Yes, I think yes, I did. You did. You did. Yes. Okay. I, I usually mess up a word here or there, but yeah, invasive ductal carcinoma, and it was stage two A. Two A. And so, was it then? Of course, you don't know until you have the mastectomies. But um, was it? And you had bilateral mastectomy. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Was it in both sides, or did you? How did you make that decision, or what? kind of it was only in one side but i also had the BRCA test and i was positive for the BRCA gene so my surgeon pretty much was leaning towards a bilateral basically because he told me because of the the BRCA gene because of the rarity in men and the mutation of my cancer he believes the best way to go would be the the bilateral that I'm going to say is myth two that we are busting on this episode today because myth one is that men do get breast cancer. And I've known two other men in my life who have had breast cancer and they are both alive, just so you know. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to finish that story with a positive. <laughs> and, um, so that's one. And then the other is that the BRCA gene mutation, not only is it, you know, obviously it's a gene mutation. So of course men can have mm. that gene mutation, but that it can Im- impact them and their health in this way. Right. Did you know of anyone in your family that had tested positive for that gene mutation? No, I did not. I had an aunt on my mother's side who had breast cancer maybe 10 years before I was diagnosed and they did a lumpectomy Mm. and it actually came back and I ended up doing the mastectomy, but she was never tested for the gene. 
my father had prostate cancer. He passed, but not from the prostate cancer. So they did the radiation pellets and whatever they did for the prostate, but he got past it, but he was never tested for the gene. And then after I went through the breast cancer, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And when she was going through her treatment, she passed, but she was tested and she was negative for the gene. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to say that that's the number three myth busted, that it would seem then, have the doctor said it would seem it came from your father's side of the family? That's what I have to assume, because my mother didn't have it unless, you know, I heard some people say, well, she could have been an active carrier of it or something and passed it, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. So, but yeah, I, I found it odd that my aunt, my mother's sister had breast cancer and my right. mother had breast cancer and I had breast cancer, but I have the gene and my mother didn't have the gene. So it, it's, it's weird. That is, that is interesting. So, all right. So then that's how you decided to have the bilateral mastectomy and talk to us a little bit about this process. There's something that, and we did, because we did speak about this before, and I literally made myself a note because I thought this was so important that I wanted to talk about just sort of the, um, some of the, I, I don't know if barriers is the right word, but maybe awkwardness is a better way of putting it, of kind of being Absolutely. the, yeah, okay. So you know yeah, where I've gone. I know where so. you're going. Yeah. So, so basically everywhere I went, I was going to the woman's breast center, you know, and every time I walked in there, they would hand the papers to my wife because she was standing next to me and she would just slide them over to me and their eyes would light up like, Oh, and I'm like, yeah. So and they always gave me the form and they wanted to know who my gynecologist was, when my last menstrual cycle was. And I said, I don't. And they said, oh, no, you have to fill that form out. We need all the forms. And I'm like, well, what do you want me to put on here? And it was funny because there was one place I went where they made me fill it out like every time I went. Oh, Lord. And I'm like, really? But, yeah, going through the all of the pink wash and everything is, you know, strong women fight like a girl. And here I am out here on my own, you know, and is how I felt. Right. Um, because I didn't really have the male breast cancer support system, which I have now, which you already mentioned, hashtag men have breasts too. And there's a lot more out there, but that's the main one. And, uh, while we're just like skipping off to the side with that, the male breast cancer coalition, amazing people. And I mentioned it last time. One of the head of it is, uh, Peggy Miller, whose son, Brett Miller was diagnosed with breast cancer. I want to say when he was 23 years old or 24, young 20s. But I think, if I'm not mistaken with his story, which he'd be another great guy to have on your show, by the way. He found it when he was in his teens. Wow. But they kept, yeah, they kept pushing it away like it's nothing. Don't worry about it. And I think in his early 20s, he was diagnosed. But you could also find all of those stories on the Male Breast Cancer Coalition website or Facebook page. and. Yeah, I will definitely reach out to them because that is such a such an important part of being your own advocate. I have to tell you, one of the things that wowed me about your story was just you had, not only is your wife amazing, you had amazing providers from the beginning that took you seriously and yeah. didn't waste any time. And that is just so huge. Yeah, it was pretty amazing that from... Like I said, immediately walking into my general physician's office to him immediately setting up when that diagnosis came back, it was uh, March 13th and April 22nd, I was on the table having my surgery. Wow. So it was just over a month later. I was in surgery. That's that's incredible. And did you also have sentinel nodes? removed when you had your mastectomy yes i had uh i want to say 26 removed they found two with positive with the cancer and the two nodes so they kept going till they got a clear clear margins but yeah so i had the the nodes removed i gotta wear my sleeve when i do my workouts and i'm at risk for lymphedema Mm -hmm. which you know a lot of men don't know about that either because why would they? Right. 
And that is amazing. I I had an episode, I want to say it was episode six with a uh, lymphedema guru, uh, Joe, goodness, his last name is going to escape me right now, but he is amazing. And lymphedemablog.com is amazing. And he's got so much great free information out there for, for all of us breasties that have gone through this and are at risk. Because I, you know, I only had the two removed and a lot of people don't know that even just with lumpectomy, you're at risk you know, so yes. it's, it's a, a serious thing. Now, did you ever have symptoms of lymphedema? Uh, actually, yeah. In the beginning, going through the healing process. And like I said before, you know, I got diagnosed in March and I was in surgery in April. Yeah. So making all these decisions, everything, like I said, it, it I see, I remember last time I might've said it. I haven't said it yet on this show, but yeah, I was lost. Yeah. I was lost. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know which way to think, which way to go. Um, I had a couple of uh, second consultations with different doctors to see what directions to go in. And uh, so, yeah, I went and saw, I think, four different surgeons in that month before I decided where I'm going to go. So it's a pretty short period of time to make these pretty large life-changing decisions. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. And then after my surgery, I went and started going to physical and occupational therapy, even before my chemo started. And yeah, I was having symptoms. So they would do lymphatic drainage massage and try to get me back moving around. And then I went through the chemo. So I had to stop. Well, no, did I stop? I think I stopped going to therapy because I was just beat up. Yeah. Uh, the, the chemotherapy whipped my butt. So I guess it was still recovering from the surgeries, going through the chemo, it just beat me up so bad. And then I went through the radiation, which I feel like I had no healing time. Mm. So probably for just over a year, I was beat up and down and out. You know, I do not church it up in my language when it comes to cancer, because the treatment's are brutal. The mastectomies are brutal and violent. The treatments are, I mean, it is an assault on yourself and it's not without purpose, obviously, right? As we all are making the best decisions and going through the treatments that, you know, the goal is, is a better outcome, a longer life and remission or no evidence of disease for perpetuity if we can get away with it, right? Like, so it is with purpose and you know that going into it, but that doesn't make it any less difficult or tiring or just painful in, in how it zaps everything from your energy to your confidence to it's emotionally draining, physically draining, psychologically draining. It's just an absolute assault on your being, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, thinking of that now going back, thinking, and I've been listening to your other podcasts and I know you were just talking about drugs and medication. And, uh, I remember when I went to see my oncologist and she was prescribing me all my pills for my chemo, she prescribed me like a bottle of 150 oxys. And I'm like, what am I going to do with that? And he's going to make me a drug addict. I don't need this, but I ended up taking every one of them just to to zonk out because I was in so much pain and uncomfortable. So that was just another hit. Like I said, I, I heard your show on that, on the drugs. And I was like, that is so exactly how it happens. It is. And you do like, because it's hard to know until you've been through it. And it's hard to share because every every physical body is so different when you start to go through it. And I always joke now, cause when I go in for surgeries, I'm like, and these are the meds that work best for me. And no, I'm not a drug seeker. I've just had surgery six right. times in the last <laughs> four and a half years, five years, five and a half years now. So you, you, know, you, you know, way too much on which drugs work. <laughs> I, I do. I trust me. I get the side glance, but you do like, you know, what works for you. Yeah. And so, but it's, I also was, you know, I've always been one of those people that even with like, I don't, I don't need a Tylenol. I don't need an Advil. I don't need a whatever. I'll just work through it. And there's something about uh, the deep 
deep to the core pain that unless you're, you're there, like I will never, ever in my life ever question a chronic pain patient because that was the other thing I came out of with reconstruction with chronic pain. And I had no idea that that would be in my, in my future. It's better now with the last procedure I had, but yeah. So when we talked last time, and I had asked the question, you're going to probably know right where I'm going with this too, but I'd asked the question of how it went as you were telling your coworkers and your friends and, and stuff and starting to, to let folks know that this was in your future. You had some, some pretty surprising yeah. reactions. I, I was at work one day and I, I was telling a coworker and he like, I said, hey, I got breast cancer. And he started like hysterical laughing and patting me on the back, being like, "Man, what are you joking for? Why are you? That's a, such a stupid joke." And I'm like, "No, man, it's not a joke." And he said, "Yeah, it is. Men can't have breast cancer." And I'm like, "Well, I have breast cancer." And I guess he realized it's not a joke, and he put it together, and it's just so serious. But he was, it was like the best knock knock joke he ever heard at first, you know, he was just, he, he was just hysterical. And I'm like, no, man, it's not funny. And, uh, yeah. So I got a lot of reactions like that from most of the, most of the men, not everybody laughing. They're like, but everyone's surprised. Right. You know, like men, how do you have breast cancer? Men get breast cancer. And I'm like, yeah, they do. So that is, I have to tell you, when that broke my heart when when you told me that the first time, and it still does, and it also just reinforces how much I appreciate you coming on the show to talk about it because we have listeners that are caregivers and you know sons and husbands and and every man should know that it's yeah. something that they need to be aware of within their body as well. And so thank you again for yeah, coming on and sharing absolutely. that story as crappy as that was in that moment without <laughs> a doubt, but you know, being the, being able to be here now and share that story and be such an advocate. Yeah. So like you said, everybody's got some male in their life, whether it's a son, brother, uncle, father, cousin that knows somebody that needs to be aware but, you know, everybody needs to be aware because everybody is susceptible to getting breast cancer, really. Yeah. If you're a human being, you could get breast cancer. Exactly. And we got to spread the word that, like, we, we all know about breast cancer now, I think, through all the, the fundraisers and walks and marches in October. Yeah. But a lot of people don't know that men get it, too. And... Just recently, I started seeing in some of their literature from the bigger cancer advocate people about men and they're putting wow. men in. So it's not just geared towards women and women anymore. That is great Which, news. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. A lot of people probably won't pick up on that, but that's something I look at and I see and I pick up immediately, you know? Yeah. I and I would too. I think those of us that are in that in the in that breast cancer club Secret definitely club. <laughs> yeah, we definitely yeah. we we do because we want to make sure that that we're all taken care of and that we all have the best possible outcome. Hey, Tammy here, and I am so excited to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Riverdance Soapworks. When I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I immediately started paying extra attention to what I ate and the products I used. That's when I discovered Deb and her team of artisans at Riverdance Soapworks, where they handcraft luxurious, natural, and good-for-the-body products like soaps, deodorants, and body butters, products that we use in our house every day. Griff loves the cedar whiskey soap and my favorite, well, I love the kawaii ginger. These soaps are handcrafted, hydrating, and luxurious enough to make you want to wash those hands for 20 seconds or more. Visit RiverdanceSoapWorks.com to check out their many amazing products and mention my name, Tammy, with a purchase of $25 or more and you'll receive a free trial size hand sanitizer while supplies last. So don't delay and visit RiverdanceSoapWorks.com today. I think maybe another myth that we bust is that you did go through, like your treatment was the gold standard of treatment for uh, invasive ductal carcinoma. And so you did, in addition to the bilateral mastectomy, which was from the BRCA, you also did the chemotherapy, you did the radiation. 
So your body went through the hair loss. And so I know for women, losing our hair and losing our eyelashes and losing that part of our identity in addition to our breasts, it, it is very traumatic, PTSD, confidence annihilating. Like there are so many different ways I can describe the pain of yeah. that. From a guy's perspective, how did you emotionally process going through all of that? And was that also for you a huge confidence hit? And, and um, did you feel sort of, you know, how did you feel? I'll just put it that way. How did you feel going through that? The eyebrows did it for me. Mm-hmm. When the eyebrows were gone, I felt and looked sick. You know what I mean? Before that, there was still eyebrows. My hair was coming out, so I shaved it. Um, no big deal. I've shaved my head in the past just for hot summers, you know. But when my eyebrows were gone, it was just like visibly I felt sick. And I felt like I looked sick. And I also had no color in my skin. You know, it's pale white. But but to me, it was the eyebrows. I was white, pale white before the eyebrows fell out. But when the eyebrows were gone, that's when I kind of felt sick. So yeah, it's traumatic. I look back and I have a picture somewhere with no eyebrows and I look at it and I'm like, wow. But yeah, got through it. And like I said, I feel so much better now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, did you have any reconstruction or did you have, I mean, now for women, they have the aesthetic flat closure and for women, it's a little more complicated because we have the extra um, tissue as far as getting flat. It's a little more complicated because we have the extra tissue. So did you have a plastic surgeon consult? Was it your general surgeon that, that did that? And did you have any reconstruction at all? No, no reconstruction. And the actual surgeon is a breast surgeon. So he works at the Moffitt, Moffitt Cancer Center and he specializes in breast breast surgery and breast care. So I guess that would be my breast care specialist. But <laughs> but yeah, so, and we talked about this last time and I wouldn't have referred to it like this, but I guess it is like a flat closure, I guess is what you would call it. But it's it, super clean. Um, the way it looks for me, I don't feel like I need reconstruction. So I don't know if I'd want to go through that from some of the stories I hear either. <laughs> yeah, I have my stories on that. Yeah. Although I will say nipple reconstruction was the easiest of all of the surgeries I've had. And I'm assuming based on how we started this story about uh, your nipple retracting that you were not able to keep your nipples or did you? Yeah. No, no nipples. nipples. Nipples are gone. So it, like I said, it, the surgery to me, it looks real clean. My scars are not puffy like I've seen in other scars. Yeah. So they came out real nice. No nipples. And I think I told you this last time. I swim a lot. So I'm out a lot with no shirt on. And I've only been asked one time about my scars. And someone asked me, they said, what happened to you? Were you bit by a shark? Oh. <laughs> right? Didn't I? We talked about this last time, I think. <laughs> so I was like, what? They're like, did you get shark bit? And I'm like, no. And they're like, what happened? I said, I had breast cancer. And she was also surprised that I had breast cancer. But yeah, it was like awakening for her too, because she's like a breast cancer. And I'm like, yeah. So she thought I was shark bit though. I thought that was funny. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that is funny. So, and well, and you live in Florida, right? So that is an actual yeah. potential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I think it's almost weekly here. <laughs> Ah, that's terrifying. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, and, but you had and you had tattoos before. I think I remember us talking about that because yeah. tattoos were big for me. But you already had some. I had one, and the surgeon worked like right around the tattoo, so he didn't even remove oh. any of the tattoo that was on my chest, and it kind of it was okay. I've been thinking about getting a tattoo on the other side. Yeah. But I don't know. It's very like numb but sensitive at the same time. So. <laughs> You know, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> you I know can, what I'm talking about. I do, and sometimes it was like an like a ultrasonic toothbrush. You just feel the vibration, yeah. and then. But the problem is, I fell asleep, and then found she found a nerve, and that that woke oh, that, yep. that woke me up. So yeah, there it's definitely different. So 
Let's dive into, if you're comfortable with this, and you can always say you're not comfortable, but let's dive into a little bit about sexuality, sensuality, and relationships, because your wife was amazing and she was there for you. And I mean, I have so much love for her just because, just by how much love you have and share for her. And I know for me that, you know, feeling attractive was a challenge for quite some time. And from a guy's perspective going through this, was there an impact for you in that area if you're comfortable talking about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So going through the surgery and then basically being in bed or on the couch, I was actually in a recliner chair for almost a year, if not over a year. I gained a bunch of weight because they had me on, you know, well, you didn't go through chemo, right? No, I you didn't. Went. So, so the chemotherapy, and I think you also talked about this in another one, you know, one second you're pooping and then now you can't poop for days and now everything's coming out. So you are the constipated or diarrhea. There's no, there's no in between. So going through that, you know, I gained a bunch of weight. They gave me uh Marinol to keep my appetite up, but it really keeps your appetite up. And I ate everything. So I gained a bunch of weight because I was doing nothing but sitting around taking medication and eating. Um, and then I had like this whole shelf where my belly just stuck out. There was no breast tissue. Yes. And I looked, it just looked odd, you know? So I was like, what? So it was very weird sexuality that whole time. No, I had no sexual, I didn't even sexual desire. Yeah. I mean, on my end, I don't know how my wife felt looking at me at that time, but my end, I just, I was too beat up to even think about sex. Yeah. You know, so. We, we, we ladies call that the Buddha belly that we have no idea. Right. And you go through these surgeries and it seems like every procedure, for some reason, you get a distended abdomen. And then when you have negative breast tissue. That's all you see. Yes, the, the Buddha belly. Yeah, it's better without the breast. <laughs> yes. So, so it's not even like it's equaling out and making it look a little bit consistent. You know, you, you have a void and then the rest. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's so. interesting because a lot of people, I think, and you were gracious enough to provide me with some photos and I'm going to put those in the show notes um, out on the blog for folks to see because you... You weathered this. And of course, like, you know, probably looking back and being in the middle of that train ride, it probably didn't feel like it. But you have really embraced just, it seems, living intentionally and in the moment and have worked so hard on reclamation and getting your health back. Do you want to talk with us a little bit about the maybe the hardest part. And then also kind of the, because people don't believe me when I say this, there are a lot of silver linings and trust me. And I've said this, people are going to get tired of hearing me say it. Mm -hmm. But when my medical oncologist said to me, some people say that this is one of the best things that ever happens to them in their life. I wanted to throat punch him. And yet here I am five and a half years later saying, I now intentionally live every day and seek my joy because of this. And had I not had this experience, it would have been, I, I still would be an automaton in the corporate world and, and, you know, banking, banking my vacation and my happiness for a future yes, day. Right. Yeah, so. absolutely. So going back to a couple of things you already hit on, well, the worst thing is I really felt like when I was going through everything, I felt like I wasn't coming out of this. You know, I, I felt defeated. I felt like I wasn't going to go back to work. I felt like I was going to be on Social Security disability. And how am I going to take care of my family? Plus all that medicine brain and chemo brain and nothing's working. I just, that was the worst part about it. The best part was, like I said, it's almost like finding myself. And what helped me is actually the physical therapy, occupational therapy place I went to, which is actually called Doctors of Women's Health, who, (laughs) but I got to tell you, what a difference in my life these therapists have made. Um, Actually, one of them became one of my best friends and helped me find my health. So I run every day now. I've actually ran, the longest I ran was a 50K. So. 
these are things I would have never imagined doing in my life. Yeah. I just make sure my day is joyful. You know, I make it a purpose. Like you said, yeah, I used to bank all my time at the time. Luckily I did bank all my sick time and vacation time because I used it all. But, (laughs) but now I use it for vacation. If I want to make a long weekend to go do something, I'm going to make a long weekend. I try to get out every morning and get the sunrise. I just live with that purpose of today. Today is my day. We're going to make something happen today. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to smile. I'm going to try to make other people smile. And that's pretty much how I try to go through every day. I love that. And as a, as a parent, as a father, has this experience impacted how you communicate with your girls? And I forget their age now, but they're getting close to graduating and starting college. And next week, she's going off to college. Okay. Yeah. So 18 and 15 next week too. next week, the younger one will be 15. Oh my and gosh. next week we move our oldest one who's 18 out to college. Wow. So, yeah. So, okay. Well, so we all have the American dream, right? All those boxes that you take off, but now you've had this, uh, this different experience and awakening and has that kind of, it's funny you say that because this whole time going through this and trying to find my health. I was still on the hormone therapy, Mm. which never helped me feel good. I tried so hard, but I just never felt good. So they had me on an astrazole for five years, and then they wanted me on tamoxifen for the next five. Talking with my doctor, I opted out of tamoxifen. I said, look, I need a couple of months break. I want to feel better. I want to see. My wife says I'm a different person. I was grouchy all the time. Mm -hmm. I was aggravated and it was absolutely the medication. So unfortunately that five years I was aggravated, (laughs) you know, even though I was trying so hard not to be every little thing would aggravate me exhausted all the time, but I'd still wake up and go try to run. You know, I'd still go to the gym. I'd still get a workout in, but I didn't realize what a hold that medication had on me. I am so glad you brought that up because I forgot to ask you that. So was your cancer estrogen progesterone positive? Yes. Okay. And that is another myth that we're going to bust right here because when it comes to hormones, we, we all have them all. It's just the ratios. And, That's right. and so you were on medication then that would halt uh, some of that estrogen absorption or production. And it's, it is very impactful on the body and the side effects of the treatments are, they can also, even, even the oral meds can be very brutal. So. Yep. The the bone pains, the weight gain, the hot flashes. Yeah. I was, I was having it all. So it, uh, it was, it, it was tough, but at the time I didn't realize how tough it was. Right. Until I stopped taking it. And she, she might, my oncologist wanted me to just take a break and then go on the tamoxifen. But I was talking to her, explaining everything to her. She said, you know what? You're doing great. You look great. It's about quality of life. Yes. And if you're doing this well and looking this good, I'm going to say you're good. You're good not to take it. So that was a good reinforcement for me and my decisions to not take, you know, to not want to take them because I would have went right along with the program and kept taking it, but I stopped and I try not to read things on the internet because that'll make you, make you nuts too. <laughs> that explains me because I read everything yeah. <laughs> on the internet and that was, and that's probably well, why. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause just the other day, there was a story on one of the sites about men and tamoxifen and, and the reoccurrence rate is so, much less with the tamoxifen, and I'm thinking, wow, I didn't take it. Where am I now? <laughs> but, but like I said, I'm going to do better for myself. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to, you know, try to just avoid things that I don't need, and and yeah. try to do the best I can to live healthy. You know, it is this balance, and I, with my stage three B ILC, I did decline chemotherapy, radiation, and hormone suppressing therapies, and my cancer had metastasized to the dermis, so it was in my nipple, and it had metastasized to my lymph nodes, 
the two sentinel nodes that we removed. I declined having further nodes removed. And I chose to work with a naturopathic oncologist. And my my cancer is lobular, so it's also different in how it presents and how long it takes to, you know, for recurrence and all of those things. And so I did do all of my research on that for me. And I say for me because really you're the one looking at the pros and cons of every treatment option and decision and that shared decision-making with your providers. And you cannot completely omit quality of life as you're measuring these things. And I mean, there's been every person I've ever spoken to that's had cancer, our goal is always the same. And that is to be on the tail end of that bell curve, right? For longevity, that's what we are all after. And you don't really know until you're faced with those decisions and the realities of the decisions that you're making and how that impacts you in so many different and sometimes unexpected ways. Yes. And, and there's not a lot of time to make those decisions because, you know, they, they tell you and they're like, all right, we got to do something because this is going to keep going. And your mind is just so spun. You don't know what direction you're going, which way to go. So I give you a lot of credit to being able to do all that research that you did to come up with your decisions to do, because obviously it's, it's working for you. It is. And, but that's the thing, right? Like I had a, I had a girlfriend call me once and she said to me, how come you didn't have to do chemo? And I said, well, they recommended chemo and I declined it. And she said, but how come you didn't have to do it? And she was facing that chemo decision herself. And I said, they wanted me to do it. I declined it. You, (laughs) you could decline it too, but let me ask you a deeper question. When you think about doing chemo, how do you feel? And she said, well, they're telling me that, that, and I said, no, no, no. How do you feel? And she paused for a minute and she said, well, I feel like that's my, that's, that's how I'm going to be healed. I feel like doing that is going to extend my life. And I said, well, then that's your answer. Yeah, yeah that's what you do. That's your yeah. treatment path. And, yeah. and again, that's sort of that sixth sense of knowing in your gut. And I'm sure there's a lot of people, I'll probably get some comments on this one of all my woo-woo stuff. But again, paying attention to your body, listening to what feels right for you, having ownership and being your own advocate. And you know, I also knew that if I changed my mind later, all of that stuff is still there. Yeah. But we couldn't find any cancer in my body at the time. And so a hard, a hard decision to make saying, well, we can, we can wait till later. Right. Because, and it is, yeah, it, yeah. it is, it's, a, it's equally hard. It's like, there's no right answer and there's no wrong answer. And so you really are what feels like the right path for my treatment based on my providers and my medical team and, and the whole bit. It's, and, uh, and the key, key word there is you because you, everybody's different. and. It's a hard question. If someone asks you, you know, should I do chemo? You did great without chemo. What should I do? How are you going to tell somebody? You know, and so I get it. It's hard because I would hate to tell someone to do chemo or not to do chemo. <laughs> right. Because because my experience, like I said, it beat me up so bad. I don't know what I would say. I couldn't tell somebody to make my influence their decision. No. And I wouldn't feel right doing that. Every one of us has to make that decision really, truly. And when we talk about the different types of cancer, right, you've got triple negative, you've got in situ, you've got invasive, you've got lobular, you have got ductal, you've got inflammatory, right? And so all of these things that you're looking at, and then whether or not it's hormone receptors, whether it's her positive or her negative. And, you know, so it's, it's not every one of us is a distinct individual case. And then you add into that family history and genetics and right. And it's so and age and everything. So you, there's so many factors. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is. What is that best decision for me? And I, and I hate to say that only you will know when it's you having to make those choices. Yeah. And, and trust me, I've had those conversations where I'm like, should I have done it? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? But it, the funny thing is, and I'm sure you too, because you just said somebody asked you, but I get asked too, what should I do? And I can tell them my experience, but you can't base it on my experience. Like no. someone I just, someone who just finished all their treatments, I haven't talked to her yet because she just moved back to town. But when she was diagnosed, I spoke to her and she asked me, 
and she's a very natural type person and she didn't want to do any treatments, but I guess something happened and she did all the treatments. So, you know, you, you never know. It, it's gotta be, like you said, what you feel for your body and your mind with, with the advice you get from your professionals. Exactly. And I always say none of, none of us volunteered for this shit show. Like we did not (laughs) sign up and say, let's do that. So, you know, you find yourself in the middle of it and it is really just being in the, not the eye of the storm where it's calm. You are literally on that outer edge of a tornado and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what is best for me. And there's so much pressure. There's pressure from family. There's pressure from, you know, and and so my biggest takeaway for me is that I will always love on a person and their decision because their decision is the best decision for them. And yeah. And that is the best way to be because all we can do is support and love each other through this. Those of us who've been through it, whatever elements of it, love and support each other through it. Yep. That's it. And help them find joy. Yes. You make a jojful day and a smile and move on, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So what would you, as we get close to wrapping up, what would you tell our male listeners. Normally I ask for a nugget, like one thing, but I got to tell you, there are so many kind of myths that, that we are busting here. And I think this is such an important topic. So just guy to guy, what advice would you have to men who are listening when it comes to breast cancer and guys? All right. It might be a little more than one little nugget, but one men be aware Oh, and I don't know how many men you have listening because I'm sure your base is mostly women. But that, like I said, there's men in their life somewhere. Help them be aware of it. And to the men, the groups are out there. There is support out there. It's not as uncommon as we think it is. We're out there. Your support systems are there and we can be there. You just have to come out and talk about it because there's nothing to be ashamed of. And don't let the pinkification keep you from getting the help that you need. I, kudos to you for going through that and to your wife for so patiently standing there with you as you did. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, that is just incredible. And I really do hope that we start seeing some change in that. And I had, I was telling you in the green room, I had a, uh, recording an episode that I did with a plastic surgeon who we were talking about aesthetic flat closure and we were talking about male reconstruction and how there is still so much education that is happening there as well. And so I, you know, maybe at some point October will be a little less pink and we will, we will come up with a, a new color for. Yeah. Well, the men male breast cancer coalition goes with the pink and blue ribbon. Oh, I love that. So, yeah. So in pink and blue, men have breasts too. But yeah, it's out there. How did so. I miss that? My goodness. <laughs> so I am going to make sure and link to the websites that you've mentioned. And also I'm going to connect with you and we'll link to the groups that are out there so that anybody who stumbles upon this can find those support groups. And I want to thank you so much for the photos because I think it's it's... It's so good for all of us to be able to bond. I've posted my mastectomy photos as well. Uh, Yours looks better than mine. But but we were saving stuff for later work. Um, But I think it's important to see that and to know that and to be able to have that empathy and, and to take some of the unknowns out of it. And you've really done that today for any man who's listening or any listener who has a man in their life who's going through this or might be going through this to know and to be able to see and to hear and, and see the health and vibrancy on the other side. Thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on and putting up with me through technical difficulties. No, no. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being aware about men and breast cancer and hitting the topic on your show because the more we get it out there, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So for our listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Your Killer Life. Make sure you like and subscribe. Also, be sure and check out our sponsor, Riverdance Soapworks. They are amazing. I have been using their all-natural deodorants since I was diagnosed. And get this, they actually work. 
yeah, an all natural product that actually works so well. Griff has switched to it and stole my deodorant. So there you go. Next time we will have another amazing guest and another amazing episode. Thank you again. And until then, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week. And until then, keep building your killer life.